0: Welcome back to Talk That Science and to our second episode of Must Discuss where we open up a discussion about the most pressing questions in science. We invite a group of students and researchers to shed light on the subject from their point of view. I'm Nikki and today we must discuss drugs. We will talk about the effects of soft drugs and hard drugs on the brain. While the use of cannabis is legal in the Netherlands, the production and the use of most other drugs is not. It's however not completely clear why soft drugs and hard drugs are that bad for us. We also hear stories that tell the opposite. Cannabis for example is used for medicinal purposes and MDMA, ketamine and even psychedelics are used for psychological treatment. Even though some research has been done, there's still a lot that we don't know about how drugs influence our brain. students as our guests here today with whom we will enter the discussion. We have uh, Sebastian van Brughem. Hey, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm good. Nice.
0: Um, You finished a master's in brain and cognitive sciences at the University of Amsterdam. And we approached you because we saw that you wrote your uh, literature thesis about a topic that aligns with our subject today. Um, could you tell us what your thesis was about?
1: Yeah, so my thesis was um, focused on MDMA and more specifically the, the risk factors that impact the neurotoxic effects of MDMA.
0: And what are neurotoxic effects?
1: So there's a bit of discussion still, but there, there are some uh, there's some research that shows that MDMA could potentially uh, be damaging to the brain, so, so it could be neurotoxic. Mm-hmm. Um, but how that exactly works is a bit unclear. And there are also different factors at play. For example, people can get uh, overheated or dehydrated or can take other drugs, uh, as well as NMA, that could maybe exacerbate the toxic ex- effects.
0: Exacerbate, which means that they become the, worse. That, that, that,
1: the, that the neurotoxic effects become become bigger, yeah.
0: Okay, interesting. Okay, and uh, we also have in the studio today, Olivier Olte, Olivier. <laughs> how are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. Thanks for
0: being here. Um, you are studying art and design at the St. Joost in Breda, and the reason we ask you today is that um, you told us that you have used cannabis frequently in the past, and that you felt that it helped you focus given that you have ADD, which is an attention disorder. Um, but you told us that you recently quit, is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's, that's correct. I. Uh, recently is very recently. Uh, <laughs> it's been, I've been a week clean and I deliberately oh. use the, the word clean. Yeah. Because I've been smoking weed. Well, since Corona it's ramped up way, way more. Mm-hmm. Uh, every day from the moment I woke up to the moment I got to sleep.
0: Since what what age did you start smoking?
2: 14, 15? Oh. That's really young.
0: Okay, so do you already feel? Is it hard for you that you stop now?
2: Yeah, uh, I've had nightmares every night since a week. Uh, Yesterday was my worst one. I had three in one night, so I woke up like in the middle of the night and in early morning, and then I woke up again in the afternoon. All nightmares. So uh, it's been difficult. Yeah. Uh, But it's a journey.
0: Oh well, interesting. Well, we'll ask you more about why you quit um but let's yeah let's talk a bit about what cannabis is we know that it is a plant that has been around already for ages and it has even been used medicinally in asia already in 500 bc um but nowadays it has become the norm to restrict its use in most countries um but oliver can you maybe describe how it feels to smoke cannabis do you remember maybe from like the first time or yeah, how does it feel in your brain? How does it affect your behavior?
2: Yeah, it's difficult, yeah. Uh, so we affects people differently. Uh, I've got ADD and HDHD HD and concentration disorder and all the things you can name, name I have it. So uh, for me, it calms me down because I'm really, really, really energetic and my head is chaotic. So uh, when it comes to making art and doing something that I need to focus on, like painting or uh you know, things I need to concentrate on. It makes it easier for me to concentrate in a class and in a big group. Uh, so that's really new for me. That now I'm sober again. Uh, I need to find a new way to be able to concentrate and deal with all the chaotic, chaoticness.
0: Yeah. And did you ever, did you ever consider or try uh, other medication for ADD? Or
2: uh, so I've been diagnosed with all these things since my. I guess um, so the options were ritalin, and I don't know the other one um, but I've always my parents gave me the choice do you want to do this or not and I always said no because I don't want any pharmaceutical drugs because we don't know the long-term effects on what it does and I've seen friends of mine with similar um, problems who so did use it who became zombies uh, so when I went so when I was around 14 15 I came in contact with cannabis Um, At that time I had sleeping disorders. I used to sleep three hours, two hours a night. Sometimes I didn't sleep at all Uh, and cannabis gave me a way to relieve this and uh, bring me able to sleep.
0: Interesting, yeah. And um, Sebastian, do you know why that could be or what what happens in the brain uh, when we use cannabis?
1: Yeah, so, so that's a, a pretty complex question actually. <laughs> so um, in principle, there are two main active compounds in in weed: THC and CBD. Um, and THC works in the what they call the anandamide system, but it's it's a system that is basically all spread all over the brain, so it impacts all functions. But there there are some things. Uh, that you could sort of relate to. For example, it, um, it, there's a lot of uh, cannabis receptors in the hippocampus, which is related to memory. Um, the hypothalamus is also impacted, which is, for example, feeding and uh, that kind of stuff. It also releases dopamine in the nucleus accumbens, which is euphoric, so okay. you, you, feel, you feel nice from that. But also, it can activate amygdala, which causes paranoia or anxiety, that kind of stuff. But it, it, it has a really broad impact in the brain. And that's also why, for example, with, with uh, Olivier, you can see that um, it, it might impact you different as well because you already have kind of a maybe different brain from other people. So it, it has a really complex effect.
0: But so what it does, it it, it connects to receptors in the brain. Yeah, so, so, so,
1: so, so there's a specific neurotransmitter system, mm-hmm. which is called the cannabinoid system. We, we actually discovered it because of cannabis. Um, and so we
0: call them cannabinoids as well, the system in our brain.
1: Yeah, yeah, endocannabinoids. Those are sort of the, the THC that your brain itself makes. So,
0: so the brain itself also makes THC.
1: Sort of. It, it it's, it's has the same uh, effect as THC, mm-hmm. but it, it's like a, a, a neurotransmitter from the brain itself. So, so basically, there's this system in the brain that's that's connected to all kinds of things. And the, the active stuff in cannabis impacts that system. Because it really looks the same as the, the stuff we make in our brain, the, the neurotransmitter.
0: Okay, very interesting. And um, yeah, so we know that not only um, cannabis might work for ADD, but also doctors sometimes prescribe cannabis for other reasons for example uh, it can relieve uh, nausea caused by chemotherapy and it can relieve tensions in the body so it helps for MS and other muscle spasms Um, and is like do you have any idea how why it can play this role and is it a similar thing as with ADD that it kind of just calms you down in general? Is that what cannabis...
1: Yeah, it could be. So, unfortunately, there's not that much research into it. Um, I've also looked into it, but there's there's been a clinical study in the US that looked at the effects of cannabis on ADHD. But it's it's a small study and they do see that it can help with um, inattention and with hyperactivity. Um, the effects weren't really great, but there were also not a lot of participants, so it's difficult to see. Um, but but there should be more research. And yeah, what you say, for example, it, it also has a pain killing effect. And actually, for example, you know you know the medicine paracetamol, right? Mm-hmm. That that works probably we think now also on the same system as as cannabis. So that that could also explain why we why it has a pain killing effect, especially with people who, for example, have certain illnesses and are in hospital bed.
0: Okay. And so for this study, so you said that there was also a study when they checked if it can indeed help with ADD, but it wasn't very conclusive.
1: Well, um, it it was more like, they call it like a preclinical trial. It's it's more of a proof of concept, so we we know that there are a lot of people from, from anecdotal reports... That cannabis can be really helpful for people who have hyperactivity, ADHD, or other stuff. We, we know that there are a lot of people that have real benefits when they use cannabis. But there haven't been studies into it. We, we need to know for sure whether it actually helps and if it's more helpful than placebo. So that was kind of the study they did in the US. But as I said, it's small, so you cannot really conclude anything from that study. It's more of, of a first study of many to come.
2: Okay. And it's very recent that they started studying cannabis right yeah and it became legal to study it
1: yeah well well, we we have been studying like how cannabis works and stuff for for a while but but research into the, the actual clinical benefits is pretty recent yeah
0: So, okay, so there are some... There might be some... uh, Or there are beneficial effects uh, in cannabis, but, um, Olivier, there is probably a reason that you recently quit. Did you you notice any negative effects as well?
2: Negative effects for quitting or smoking weed? No, from...
0: I mean, from smoking cannabis, yeah.
2: Yeah, (laughs) financially, it's really expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there was one factor, and I started to read into... Uh, the use of rich of the ritual use of DMT and ayahuasca and psychedelics in different cultures and how it affected might have affected the evolution of our brain and cannabis is for me also a plant and something that should be used more ritualistic more with a more uh, attention uh, instead of just something that you use recreational like I said I woke up at nine first thing I did wasn't smoke a cigarette. I smoked a joint, and then at ten, maybe eleven, one and one more, and then a three, one more, and five, six. You know, it keeps on going. So this is this uh, dependence on weed, and not that it is used for its spirituality mm. and for uh, which I think it still can be used uh, for, for for great benefit.
0: Um, yeah. So eventually, you hope that you can sometimes use cannabis, but then just
2: reintroduce one. it yeah. in a different way yeah. Okay.
0: yeah and um do we do we know sebastian or is there like a clear picture of what might be the long-term negative effects of of smoking cannabis frequently
2: well
1: the, there, there's been a lot of discussion I feel. Of, cor- of course you have the, the first physiological effects of, of smoking which is bad for you but if you look at cannabis itself there are basically two ways you can look at at damage in your, in your brain, right? You can look at the biological effects, so you can see actual damage to the cells happen. Or you can look at the cognitive effects. So, for example, memory or um, your mental state... Um, and we do have some evidence um, from, from what we call meta-analysis that um, certain parts of the brain are a bit smaller than, uh, in cannabis users than, than uh, non-users, specifically the hippocampus, which is related to memory. Um, and we also see in cognitive tests that um, uh, chronic cannabis users do have memory, memory problems. But at the same time, we do see that it's also, uh, at least in part, recoverable. So people who quit cannabis eventually do recover some ability in the memory and maybe even all. So it's it's a bit difficult to say whether that's actual damage or more of a, an adaptive effect of the brain.
0: Okay. So would that also be a reason for you to try to smoke less That it might? <laughs>
2: yeah, well, anecdotally, so... Um, when I came from uh, elementary school, and they gave me a really, really low uh, education uh, advice, like really low—the lowest you can get—because I have concentration disorder, I was a year behind, I didn't fit into the education system, and and I don't know if this if, if this is something I made up or not. But since I started smoking weed, I I was able to um, to, to 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 get knowledge more and. Uh, So now I am at university level and uh, art academy and everything is is going great. So I know the studies where they say it damages memory. But if I look around me, most people around me have a a worse memory than Mm -hmm. I I have. And I smoke smoke weed for a long, long time.
0: Yeah. So Um, you felt also that the the positive effects kind of outweighed the potential... Negative negative effects, yes. Okay. Okay. And um, there is... Uh, of course, like a huge range of other drugs out there um, that are being used recreationally and that uh, can be beneficial in some cases, but in general are considered to be to have a negative impact on us. Um, but let's focus on uh, MDMA today because it's also widely used in the Netherlands. Um, we are by far the biggest export country of synthetic drugs and... Um, in the age group from 15 to 34, apparently the use of ecstasy, of which MDMA is the main ingredient, and amphetamine, which is uh, known as speed, was the highest uh, in Europe. And ecstasy, as with some other uh, drugs that are now used recreationally, started out as a medicine. And later it then became available illegally and they started to produce it um, widely in the 80s. So what is MDMA? Olivier? can I ask you, have you ever taken MDMA or ecstasy?
2: Yeah, I have. Okay, <laughs>
0: and uh, can you maybe describe what happens when you take it?
2: Again, it's, it's maybe different for me because uh, most people, you know, the, the, the general things are that you get more excited, you, got, you get energy, you're, you, you love everyone around you. But for me, when I take ecstasy, I I get really into myself. Uh, I love the people who are around me who are already close to me. But everybody else can just fuck off. Um, I don't get energy. I just want to sit. Also with ecstasy. yeah, what ecstasy? Yeah, I don't know. Is there a difference between ecstasy and MDMA? Because people... people in in, in m- principle, not.
1: no. No, there's this sort of uh, yeah rumor, or whatever you want to call it, um, that there's speed or other stuff in pills. But in the Netherlands, practically, there's nothing else than MDMA in the pills.
2: Yeah, so when, when so this it's just a myth.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you do hear that people experience different things when they use ecstasy than when they use MDMA, right?
1: Yeah, but, but that's mostly related to dosage. If, if you look at pills in the Netherlands, um, I think nowadays most pills have around 200 or even more milligrams of MDMA in a pill. And if you take just MDMA, the powder, it's, it's a lot, 200 milligrams to take or, or even half of that. So people tend to take a lot less when they take the powder form than instead, instead when they take the pill.
0: Hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. And, um, yeah, did you, Oliver, did you ever experience a dip after taking MDMA?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so my dips are really, really bad. But maybe I can tell, uh, a friend of mine who has bipolar once said that the dip for him isn't any different than his normal life. Oh. (laughs) So that maybe explains how how bad it could be. Uh, For me, the dip is always over between three to four days which with the, the dip tuesday being yeah. the worst which is really bad for me because i i don't like the thought that, that i that i can think oh if i get hit by a bus right now it wouldn't even matter i wouldn't care and, and then the, the, the day after i would care mm, yeah
0: but that's the type of thing that you would think if you have a dip like you get bad thoughts and
2: yeah i don't know if it are, those are bad thoughts it's just i, I don't you care less mm. Maybe that is just more person. emotionally blank. Yeah.
3: Many people are experimenting with the drug ecstasy.
0: And do you know um, why we can experience a dip after taking MDMA? And yeah, what happens in the brain when we take it?
1: Yeah, so, so what we think is that um, one of the, the, the compounds in the brain, neurotransmitter in the brain, that MDMA really, fo- really releases a lot of is serotonin. And serotonin, it's a really oversimplification, but we we can call it the happy chemical. A lot of antidepressants work on the chemical as well. So what happens with MDMA is that it releases a lot of serotonin, which gets broken down. Um, And your brain is a lot less sensitive to serotonin afterwards as well. And in addition to that, uh, your brain makes a lot less serotonin after you take MDMA for maybe even two weeks.
0: Okay. And do you know if it can also... uh on the long-term effects, our serotonin uh, system. Or
1: yeah, so that's that's really difficult. So um, it it relates also to to how we look at how if MDMA is damaging or neurotoxic, you can also look at it from a brain perspective or a cognitive perspective. Um, but we cannot look directly in the brain, right? We we cannot. Uh, give a user MDMA and then cut up their brain and see how it looks so we need to use indirect measures so what we often do is we we give them um, for example antidepressants which also work at the serotonin system then we put them in a brain scanner and we can see exactly where those antidepressants are and that gives us a measure of how well the serotonin system functions so to say um, and we do see that in users it functions a lot less well than in non-users. Only when people quit, it restores, it recovers the, its functionality. So that, that seems like it, it may be an adaptive thing, right? It's, it's not uh, permanent damage. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we do have some evidence that shows that um, people can experience cognitive problems after use, uh, specifically memory problems. Um, with regard to more mental health problems, it doesn't appear to be that impactful, but mostly memory problems do appear in, uh, in users.
0: And they will stay also if people stop using it?
1: The... It seems to recover, but it's, um, yeah, th- th- there, there's still not a lot of. Um, it, you want to look at a, at a causal connection, right? For example, it can also be that a person who has uh, less functioning memory is more prone to using MDMA. So, so you want to establish a causal connection that MDMA. Directly uh, causes memory problems, but yeah. that causal link has not been found yet.
0: Okay. And do you know if there are, in general, for synthetic drugs like like ketamine, speed, 2CB, and well, we talked about MDMA, but if there is is research being done at this moment, or do people just not really care?
1: Yeah, well, um, especially into the damaging effects, that there has been a lot of research over the last de- decades. So we we do know some, but it's what I said. It's difficult to look at it in humans, so it's mostly um, either in cellular models or in in animals. Um, but now lately, there's been a lot more interest also in the possible beneficial effects of, of drugs. So well, what we talked about the, the um, research into cannabis, but also research into the use of MDMA, LSD, and ketamine, um, in use of psychotherapy.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's indeed what I also wanted to talk about. Because, um, like you say, um, we hear nowadays that uh, MDMA, ketamine, psychedelics can be used uh, for psychiatric treatments, but how how does it work? How how can it help?
1: Well, it's it's really interesting. In in the U.S., there has been uh, a lot of research into using MDMA uh, in people with post-traumatic stress disorder also war veterans for example um, and what they do is not necessarily use it as as classical medications they, they don't give it every day or something in the hope that they fix itself they use it in conjunction with psychotherapy so a person with post-traumatic stress disorder gets a therapist gets treatment and then they will go into this room they have a session they give the uh, the patient mdma and then it's completely unforced so they're not going to target the, the trauma or whatever, they just give them the, the patient MDMA. And most of the times they eventually begin to talk about the trauma themselves. And then the, the therapist will have another therapy session while the person is on the influence of MDMA. And then you can have multiple sessions. But afterwards you see that it's it's really effective. So most people don't really have clinical post-traumatic stress disorder after those treatments.
0: Well, is it because they can talk about it more easily?
1: Yeah, so, so the, I, I think there are multiple, multiple things happening, but probably one of the most important things is that you, first of all, you, you establish a really uh, strong sense of trust with your therapist, and also the emotions that you normally have when you relive your trauma are not that overwhelming, so you can actually process the trauma in a, in a more healthy way.
3: Hmm. Okay.
0: And yeah, this is kind of an, an open question to you both. Um, do you think that it is weird that um, these drugs can be beneficial for us, apparently, um, just like cannabis, but that they are uh, still illegal in the Netherlands and in most countries?
2: I think on one hand, it should be legal for everyone to do what they want with their brain, because it's our life, it's our brain. And and on the other hand, I think there should be a regulation, because it could be uh, a danger to society, like... um, Uh, A girlfriend of mine (laughs) told me yesterday about uh, a couple of friends of hers who did LSD for the first time in their apartment. No trip sitter, no uh, education, uh, they did did not do a deep dive in what it does and how much you should take and they did it. Those were three girls and one uh, guy. The guy went completely ballistic, threw all all of his clothes and started jumping on top of the girls and they threw him out on the balcony and he jumped down three stories broke broke his foot uh they called the police he fought with a neighbor um and then he ran like two miles on his broken feet uh, so on the, uh, so on one hand yes people should be able to do what they want but people aren't responsible or responsible enough to research what they are doing like LSD is something you can do recreational but it it is a dangerous drug because it is psychoactive yeah yeah
1: i mean i mean of course there are risks um, and I'm not saying we should just sell them at every Albert Heijn or something but but there, there are more options than just having it completely illegal or completely legal right so um, also, also if you compare the, the drug policy we have in the Netherlands compared to the US I think it's it's way better for example here we, we make a distinction between user amounts and, and uh, like dealer amounts so people who get caught with just a small amount of drugs don't get in trouble while well, in the US there's an insane amount of the prison population that got caught with just a, a big of weed or something and get their lives destroyed so there's a lot of more sense in our drug policy but i think it can be better as well i mean drugs are illegal but what you say um in in the, the age group I don't know what it was, 15, 15 to, to 34. Yeah, exactly. So, so in that age group, we are the, the most. We use ecstasy and speed the most from the whole of Europe. So, apparently, making it illegal doesn't work because we can get it anyway. Yeah. So, so then it might be better to invest in having better information available, having better purity drugs available, and having just more oversight instead of just closing our eyes and pretending it doesn't exist.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess, like the reason that. Um, that it is illegal even though it has some beneficial effects it's also that if people if people use it themselves it can like easily get out of control like they can become addicted or they use it in dangerous setting whereas in this like psychiatric session uh, it's regulated more so
1: yeah t- true i mean th- that's more regulated but i think if, if you look at the amount of, of people who use there are not a lot of problems Mm-hmm. with people use. There, there are not a lot of overdoses of, of people. I mean, if if you go to festivals, it's not like everybody gets carried away. Well, a, a really big amount of people there is, is on high on hard drugs. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, especially when you compare it, I mean, the, the age-old the age comparison, alcohol is way worse, of course, as well. So, of, of course there are risks, and we sh- we should acknowledge them. But it shouldn't be a reason to just um, illegalize it and, and think the problem is solved that way.
0: Yeah. And yeah, like you said, um, in, in the Netherlands and in most, most of the Western world um, the use of alcohol is really entrenched and we kind of accept it as normal, uh, but with drugs this is not the case. And um, I believe that you told me this story earlier, Sebastian, that um, there was this UK government advisor, David Knott, it was about 10 years ago. And he, he published research showing that um, that ecstasy and LSD were less dangerous than alcohol, in fact. And then he yeah was fired because yeah. they just didn't want to accept. So it seems that there is also like a stigma on drugs that's not only based on information. Like, yeah, what do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. That there's a lot of stigmatization around it. And I think it's... It, it, it's also weird if you look at, for example, the, the Day VVD, VVD, that's not the biggest party. It's supposedly more liberal and, and less government uh, regulation. And it's against uh, legalizing weed, completely legalizing weed, which is just completely backwards. I mean, we, we, we have Canada and the US legalizing it more and more. We could be market leaders in this, in this industry and it gets sold anyway. And there's a big criminal industry behind it, but it's mostly... Uh, a lot of voters for the VVD that just won't accept the party legalizing weed.
0: Mm-hmm. But do you think that there's also a... Um, because we talked briefly about the, the research that has been done on drugs. Um, is, it, yeah, is there a stigma in science also that people maybe... That you already mentioned, Olivier, that it might be harder to research something if it's illegal that also a problem
1: in Well, I I think science prouds itself in objectivity mostly. So um, yeah if political stigmas aren't really that much of an issue but drug research is a lot more difficult and the the thing is if you for example want to research MDMA for example um, you have to get it from a supplier which is really really expensive and you have to uh, store it in a special location and there's it costs so much money just to have have a little bit of MDMA uh, available to do research with and it's also really difficult to get um, permission to do those kinds of research because of ethical concerns and stuff so yeah I that that's, I think th- it's really difficult to do research in this area because of the stigmatization and, and politics working against it. But within the science community, there there's a lot of acknowledgement that this is actually an interesting field of study.
0: Okay, that's good to hear. And um, Olivier, did you did you feel when um, when you did uh, use cannabis that that people? yeah did you feel judged by people like did you really feel this stigma on cannabis maybe i don't know if it if there is a stigma on cannabis in your opinion
2: yes i know in the creative sector there's almost no stigma on smoking weed like almost everybody does it and that's uh overstatement but uh yeah there is a small stigma around like in, in the other sectors but not that i noticed on me uh i mean it's I find it still disrespectful is if people smoke weed in the city. In Amsterdam it's maybe different, but in smaller cities, if you walk through the city and smoke weed, it's disrespectful to everybody. So it's not... Why
0: do you think that it is? Because
2: of the smell and its smoke. and I don't know if secondhand smoke is as worse as smoking it, but it's this... I don't know. If you want to smoke weed, go to a park or go at home. Uh, but maybe because stigmatization, most families uh, don't allow people to sm- start smoking weed. I, I was very lucky that my parents uh, said from my 14, if you want to smoke weed, please do it at home. We don't want you to smoke weed on the street. So I was always able to smoke safely uh, with my parents around, uh, where they could regulate me, see how I was doing. Uh, but most people wind up the street, and that's, I think, a bad, a bad part, and it causes stigmatization. Also, because it damages the, uh, the image yeah. of the street, because we all know, know ha- youth hanging around on streets, smoking weed everywhere, blasting tunes. But that's mostly because they don't have a place to go. Yeah. Uh,
1: it's uh, it, it, it's interesting, though, what you say, because I think in Amsterdam there's not really a stigmatization of people smoking. It, it's pretty normal to see somebody smoking weed on the street and you don't really look up. But um, I used to live in Heimstede uh, with my parents, and yeah, nobody would smoke weed there on the street. And if you see somebody, you're like, what, what are you doing? But in Amsterdam it's, it's not really stigmatized, so th- there's a difference in that as well.
3: Yeah,
0: true. So in conclusion, I think we can say that um, it is probably good if more research is being done uh, on drugs and the government should be well informed about the rules they make. On the other hand, even though some drugs have been used for treatment, this doesn't mean that uh, we can take this as a reason to all go out and self-medicate because the independent use of drugs always has the risk of addiction that can make it into a problem. And I think that's probably a responsible way to end this episode. Thank you guys for being here.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
0: We have a regular Talk That Science episode planned in which we will talk with Aime Sucron about the research she has done on the influence of cannabis on the brain. So stay tuned for that.